This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world. All on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hey there, and happy Friday. Welcome to The Hash on Coindesk TV or on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We're glad you're here, whether you're watching or listening. I am Zach Seward. That is Jen Sanasi. And that over there is Will Foxley with Market Carnage to start the show off. What do you got, Will? It's Jackson Hole Day. So let's talk about that. Jerome Powell and the rest of the Fed gang were up in Wyoming. Talking about markets, we expected a little more information to come out but it was about the same old, same old here. The Fed has been increasing interest rates since the beginning of the year. We went from a 0% federal funds rate, and now we're at like 2.5% federal funds rate. This is the fastest increase in US Federal Reserve history. A lot of people are looking at this symposium, which happens every year in Jackson Hole, for more information on where the markets are going to go based on Federal Reserve sentiment and choices that they're going to make with the federal funds rate. And nothing really happened. They basically said that they're going to continue to increase the federal funds rate based on market perception, where the labor market is, where the economy is, and if we're going to go into recession or not. The next BIP increase, about 75 BIPs, is expected in September. Not a big shocker for traders. I think the most interesting thing out of this was, in fact, that the whole deal was live streamed. A lot of people were tuning into this just to see how the markets were going to change based on Jerome Powell's statements. Sort of funny. It's like this this odd world we live in now, where we just can tube into what the Federal Reserve is going to say, and then everyone places little calls based on top of that. Zach, throw it over to you. Get your take on it. Yeah, markets went in tank mode. You know, you look at the, the live stream and you look at the charts, and it's like, whoop, we're down three percent. We're down two percent. S and P five hundred, Bitcoin, all down a bit. So yeah, people expecting maybe some relief in terms of a more dovish monetary policy. I think we're dissatisfied. By the Powell remarks this morning and markets acted accordingly. Kind of crazy how Bitcoin can just do that on the whims of a central banker in the US, right? It's kind of wild that the correlation is so pronounced so strong that you can see it in real time on the chart when something is said that is interpreted as bearish by the market. Bitcoin, supposed to be its own little world, follows suit, follows suit with the tech stocks, with the big stocks of the S&P 500 and whatnot. So there it is, hovering just north of $20,000 on Jerome Powell's approach to monetary policy. Jen, what do you think? My take never changes on interest rates and inflation. I always just think of the people who are going to be affected by this, right? The average everyday person who's affected by inflation. Uh, on On the live stream, Powell said, while higher interest rates, lower growth, and softer labor market conditions will bring down inflation, they will also bring some pain to households and businesses. So this reminded me of um, a Wall Street Journal article I read, I think two days ago, that spoke about the labor market. They said that while there are lots of layoffs across lots of different industries because of the macroeconomic state right now, there are also still lots of jobs and people who are hiring. And I think that relates back to crypto, right? We've seen a lot of layoffs happening, but a lot of people are still hiring. So if you find yourself in a position where you've lost your job because of the macroeconomic state, or you want to make a little bit more money, the Wall Street Journal says, that there are two jobs for every unemployed person who is out there looking. So it is not all doom and gloom. That's what I got. Well, we can talk about Jerome or we can listen to him. So let's hear a few clips from him in Jackson Hole. In current circumstances with inflation running far above 2% and the labor market extremely tight, 
Estimates of longer run neutral are not a place to pause or stop. July's increase in the target range was the second 75 basis point increase in as many meetings, and I said then that another unusually large increase could be appropriate at our next meeting. We are now about halfway through the intermeeting period. Our decision at this September meeting will depend on the totality of the incoming data and the evolving outlook. Wild to see. It's weird to, to have a federal banker just like on a live stream and then sort of watching charts dip in correspondence to whatever he's saying, right? A lot of times people take these notes. December of last year, we had some of those notes leaked and the market downturned quite sharply. And now we just have a live stream. It's almost like we're watching you know, this on Twitch and everyone's just like gaming based on top of it. Really is like the, the final step to gamification of the U.S. economy. Jen, to you. When do you think we're going to get Jerome Powell in the metaverse doing... Soon. Yeah, right? I think so. I think that's just a, a natural next step. We've got to start with the emotes on, on the talk, you know, just smash like base Jerome, you know, or something <laughs> like some great emote there could be rolled out. All right, let's change gears though. I'm talking about Coinbase. Jen, what do you got? Oh, right. Yesterday, Coinbase launched a voter registration tool ahead of November's elections. So Chief Policy Officer Faryar Shirzad tweeted that the leaders elected in this year's elections will be the ones making critical decisions about the future of crypto, blockchain, and Web3 and about your economic freedom. So along with the voter registration tool, there's also an education initiative that will help Coinbase users understand the ongoing political debates that will shape the future of crypto and will also let you know where your local representatives stand on some prominent crypto issues. Will, what do you think of this? I love this. I love this for a few reasons. I think the biggest one is that Coinbase has been so firmly within the regulatory scope and they are punching back in a way we have not seen them do in the past. Coinbase has really limited the size of its operations because it's wanted to be in check with the regulatory stance, all these government bodies that have no idea what they're doing. And to date, that has been a huge loss for them, right? The rise of Binance and FTX is probably because Coinbase could not get away from all these government agencies that were not showing them clear guidance on what assets they can list. We saw a reversal of that over the last two years where Coinbase started listing every and any asset they could basically get their hands on. Not to throw any shade their way, it makes sense, right? People want these assets. They are a marketplace. They should be able to list them. The U.S. government, on the other hand, thinks that a lot of these things are securities and so has been pushing back. And now we get into the political game, right? This is a game of inches, and there's going to be like a lot of head takes and jukes all around. What we saw the other day, actually, was that the head of Coinbase's policy team tweeting out against the Gary Gensler op-ed in the Wall Street Journal. And that was a very contentious moment that was public, saying that Coinbase is actually going to tweet at government officials and make their opinion very well known. And now they're going to move forward with political lobbying, right? Coinbase spends a lot of money on Capitol Hill already. Now they're going to move forward with education for voters. And as this voting block increases, we know about 19% of Americans hold Bitcoin or have some sort of exposure to Bitcoin. They're going to want to become more educated and Coinbase is in a prime position to be able to do that. Zach, to you. Yeah, I think that's great that you're looking at the broader context of Coinbase taking this fight public, right? I think that's what we're seeing, whether it's with these campaigns or whether it's with, you know, a former SEC staffer who's now on the Coinbase payroll, taking issue with, uh, with some recent pronouncements from the SEC uh, on Twitter. So I think we're seeing that. I mean, let's face it, right? For most people, not most, for many people in the US, Coinbase and crypto are synonymous, right? 
And Coinbase gets it. And they say, okay, if we're going to be the flagship for this industry in the US, then I guess we're going to have to get loud when it comes to fighting for policy that suits our interests and suits the interests of our customers. And what we're seeing them do with stuff like this, with the petition to the SEC for more clarity over what is a digital asset security and what is not, with public statements from Brian Armstrong all the way through the ranks, I think we're seeing them go public, go loud with some of their displeasure as to how the regulatory environment in the US is shaping up. So while we have behind the scenes operators largely in the VC realm pushing the needle where they can, I think interestingly, we're seeing Coinbase do kind of the opposite, go loud, go public, see if they can get grassroots support to sort of push the needle from that direction as well. Really interesting to watch this unfold, especially around some of these more contentious decisions that have been coming from the government of late. But Jen, your thoughts. I also think this is great. And I just imagine, imagine every website you visited or business you interacted with had this for you. They had, you know, a a portal that you could go to, to become educated on the issues as it pertained to that thing. I think that that would be amazing for voter education in the United States. I want to point out one funny tidbit. So in 2020, I'm sure both of you remember, Brian Armstrong told employees that he won't stand for politics and the championing of social issues at the office. And I remember he, I think he tweeted, he would severance package anyone out who didn't agree with him. I went back and looked for that tweet. Uh, It was cited in a news article. It is now deleted. Oh, how times have changed. Think a a little, yeah, Will. Pushback though, pushback. He did say that the purpose of Coinbase was crypto. (laughs) And so it does make sense that they'll be political on a crypto issue. I do get the, it's kind of funny how he did that. It's funny. I want to give one. It's kind of funny. (laughs) It is a little funny. It is a little funny. I think you're right to bring that up. I do want to give one take to you guys really quick before we go to the next story. And that is this bear market actually might be interesting for other reasons than we were not thinking of. A lot of times during bull market, we get so caught up pump and dump tokens. We get really caught up in the tech. We get caught up in Twitter narratives and all the traders going bull and bust like we saw with three arrows. But during this bear market, we might actually have a lot of interesting narratives around crypto going mainstream in the fight to get political legitimacy. So we'll see like Coinbase really take off and try to like punch back at the SEC. I think we'll see a lot of other big exchanges like Binance, FTX also do the same. I think we'll probably see a resurgence in some of these lending programs, the ones that are able to stick around. They'll also fight back. I think we're going to see more action on the political front during this bear market than we really saw during the bull during the bull market because we weren't like paying attention to any of this during the bull market. It's probably like the, the least interesting place to be paying attention to. Don't anyone tell it to Nicholas Day at Coindesk, but it's not as interesting during the bull market when all the prices are pumping up and down. But I'll leave the story there for the next one. Coindesk has a new event. It's called Ideas, the Investing in Digital Assets and Enterprises Summit. It facilitates capital flow and market growth by connecting the digital economy with traditional finance. Join us for a 360 investment experience where you can source, invest, and secure the next big deal in digital assets all in one place. Use code HASH20 for 20% off a general pass. Register today at coinest.com forward slash ideas. All right, let's change gears. Voyage with us to China for a discussion of how China is viewing the metaverse moment. This is a little interesting little nugget from a metaverse conference in Beijing, right? Uh, China, obviously, against the backdrop of pretty restrictive crypto policies, is thinking about what a metaverse looks like, including NFTs and other digital assets. 
some really interesting details in this piece. Just wanted to end the show on this one. I'm going to throw it to Jen for her thoughts on how China is approaching the metaverse. I thought that it was really interesting that they said international participation was severely limited due in part to strict COVID-19 controls, but two foreign speakers were able to speak in a pre-recorded video. That tells me that there was a way for foreign people to participate, but foreign people maybe were not invited or encouraged to participate on a large scale. I feel like the COVID-19, I feel like there's some hiding and maybe some smoke and mirrors when it comes to the COVID-19 narrative as to why foreign nationals weren't able to participate. I think when you, when you think about China and you think about the metaverse, it's almost an oxymoron, right? The metaverse is supposed to be this open place where people can go and gather online and, and do things and move assets around. And China has traditionally very much controlled the people there and controlled the platforms that the people use. So I'm really interested to see how China's thinking about the metaverse. We've already seen how they're thinking about NFTs. They're actually not calling NFTs NFTs in China. They're called digital collectibles. You can buy these from Chinese tech companies. They're only attached to digital art. There's no utility that is attached to these digital collectibles and they cannot be sold on a secondary market. So I just wonder what the metaverse will look like in China. I feel like it will be very closed, very controlled. Will, what do you think? Yeah, I have two takes on this. The first one is we really have the stage set for a dystopian novel in front of us, right? We have like the 20th century Soviet style playbook where we're going to build this industry ourselves. It's going to be a new industry, but the party leaders are going to be heavily involved with it. They're going to allow it to be independent, but controllable, whatever that's supposed to mean. And then on the flip side, you have like this 21st century, very uh, out there world where the corporations are controlling whatever this metaverse looks like, right? Where Facebook and Meta is going to be controlling the metaverse. They're going to be owning the standards. They're going to be building it for everyone. And then all these Westerners are going to go into the metaverse and have an experience that's supposed to be fantastic and like full of like leisure and enjoyable, whatever that's supposed to look like. But it's very dystopian at the same time, right? Because the corporation is controlling it. And then you have like the rogue third option, which is supposed to be like this crypto place where like a lot of random developers with open source code are fighting back and trying to make their own metaverse their own world. We have like Decentraland and Mana tokens and things like that. So we have these three competing visions all hitting the books at the same time. I don't know which one wins and I'm pretty bearish on the metaverse as I've made known a few times, but I think the stage is set for something interesting. Last point on this, last take, is the fact that China is getting so involved with this and these large Chinese corporations or at least corporations in China that are heavily backed by state or have the state overlooking them like NVIDIA. That is not great for metaverse development, right? We don't want to have the same playbook that we have with like TikTok or other Chinese-based industries that are heavily censored by Chinese regimes. We see tons of different geopolitical fallouts from that. I think we're just setting the stage for a very similar landscape in 21st century tech with the metaverse. Zach, to you. Yeah, I think you're going to have these competing things, right? These siloized metaverses, be they national silos or corporate silos, and this vision of interoperability, right? We've seen the meta metaverse and writings on interoperability among metaverse standards. The competing perspective is that there's just going to be these different little groups that don't really talk to each other for reasons that are either cultural or technical. That's what I'm going to be watching out for. Jen, what are your thoughts? Yeah, there was a part of the story that also said, I think it was Beijing and Shanghai are focusing on education and tourism when it comes to building out their metaverse strategy. I think that is probably that's really smart for China. I can imagine, you know, if you 
want to go and visit the Great Wall, but are never going to make it over to China. Maybe there's like an educational element. You hop into their metaverse. I'm sure there'll be a ton of privacy concerns and issues with that. But you hop into there and you can learn a little bit about Chinese history and some some of landmarks. Vice versa, for students who are learning in China, maybe they can visit different parts of, of China. So education and tourism makes sense to me, but I agree with both of you on what this could look like in the future. Yes, Zach. Education, let's be real. I mean, it's no accident that the most popular part <laughs> of the Central Land is the casino. People are there to be able to have fun. People I'm not trying to learn like stuff. like to Come be on. educated. Yeah, no, people they don't. want to go see things. Get out of here with that broccoli. People want candy. <laughs> What's a better education than losing a lot of money in the metaverse? That's I don't know. true. Fully immersive experience <laughs> and losing your shirt at the tables. That's what we're all about here. All right, good times. Thanks for being with us on The Hash. That's your Friday show for you. We'll be back on Monday. I am Zach Seward. That is Will Foxley. That is Jen Sanasi. Aren't they great? Aren't they good? You're so great. happy to have you as my co-hosts for real. Boom, boom. Have a great weekend, everybody. We're glad you're here. And we'll talk to you on Monday. Bye. Bye. See ya. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.